Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. Welcome to yet another episode of Songwriter Theory. We're one away from 50 episodes, which is just... um, pretty exciting 50 just seems like a lot if we were a tv show that would put us at the end of season two actually that's probably the beginning of season three um worst case scenario if it's one of those 12 episode tv shows or 12 13 episode season tv shows then we're we're looking at like season four so very cool i'm excited for episode 50 Excited to reach that milestone, which will be one week from uh, today, I guess, is probably when I'll record it, and one week from you listening to this, if you're tracking with us live, and if you're uh, listening to this Monday, then it'll be one week away to episode 50, so that is pretty cool. So, on this episode we are going to start to dive into song structure. So, uh, next episode is going to be uh, more the song structure concepts around, um, you know, verse, chorus, um, pre-chorus, post-chorus, what some of those are for, um, why we have them, different versions of them you can use. And then I'm also going to dive into some... um, alternates to sort of break out of the mold um, because you know sometimes the verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus formula gets a gets gets a little stale and there can be some nice ways to change it up um, that that just that just help your that, that that can be a different way to communicate so we'll dive into that next week but I figured before we got to that, we needed to address a more fundamental song structure concept that is a part of really basically all music, and that is the call and response. So when you think of call and response, right, especially with music, you're probably picturing, I don't know, one of those choirs where like there's one guy that sings a line and then the whole choir echoes the next line, right? And then the guy sings a line and then the whole choir sings the next line. Or something of that nature. Or you think, you know, call and response is as what it's referring to, which is basically a conversation, right? One person says a thing, then the other person responds. One person says a thing, the other person responds. It's a conversation in a nutshell, right? And... That's this is very related to those two. That's why it's called call and response. But um, no matter what genres you're listening to, anything from classical to the newest pop song to the last rap song you listen to, or um, rock song or country or whatever you've been listening to, it all uses this concept of call and response. And not only that, but call and response is used on many different levels, both on small scale and then large scale within the song. And we're going to dive into that. So first, let's let's uh, define what call and response really is 
from the musical standpoint. So we already talked about how it's basically a conversation, right? And that the quintessential way to imagine it is that, you know, choir concept where somebody sings a line and then the whole choir echoes that line or sings the next line and then you go back and forth. But really what call and response is, is, is the succession of two different, two distinct, really, musical phrases or parts where the second is reflective or a commentary on the first. So let's look at the big picture first. So basically every song, again, from classical all the way to pop, has an A section and a B section. Now, in modern music, we would usually refer to this as a verse and chorus, right? Um, so in classical, it's pretty common to have like an A-A-B-A format or an A-B-A format, right? Where you have A section, then you do a B section, and then you go back to the A section. Or maybe A-B-A-B-A. So all of those are sort of common with classical music. Um, but really what that is, is what today we call a verse and chorus. Uh, you could argue there's some differences, but the basic concept is the same. It's that the B section is a change-up from the A section, just like a chorus is a change-up from a verse. So, what's the pattern between verses and choruses? Right? Let's, let's look at a couple, or about four very commonly used song structure patterns. One is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, right? This is a ton of songs. Then there's also verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, right? Basically the same thing, just after the bridge, it goes to a verse before going back to the chorus. Or how about songs that start with the chorus, right? Chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And then verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, if a song doesn't have a bridge. So what do you notice is common among all those? When I was saying all that verse, chorus, bridge, all that stuff, what's common with all of those? It's that verse and chorus were always together, right? Like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, Bridge chorus. So there's a change up there with the bridge, but then verse chorus, verse chorus, bridge verse chorus, or chorus verse, chorus verse, chorus, bridge chorus. So in all of those instances, we're looking at the macro version of call and response. You have the call, that is the verses, and then the response, that's the chorus, right? The chorus is a way to change it up. So with call and response, we're really looking at two, two different aspects. One is usually lyrically, there'll be some element of call and response. So often in a verse lyric, right? That's where you're telling the story. That's where you're giving the details. And then the chorus is where you get to the theme. Or sometimes the chorus is where you hear from a different character, if you will, right? So if you have a song about somebody on their deathbed, you might be taking, you know, in the verses, you might have the perspective of 
the loved ones around the person on their deathbed. And then the chorus you're singing from the perspective of the person in their deathbed, right? Or, or, um, you know, so, some other example like that, whether, you know, you're, uh, maybe a, a common thing, especially with, with duets is, you know, the first verse is sung by the guy or the girl, um, and then the chorus is sung by whichever one didn't do the verse as sort of the response. So, you know, the guy is saying something to the girl he loves in the verse, and then the chorus, the female sings because she's responding back to him. Um, and, you know, usually the guy will still, or whoever sung the verse will harmonize or whatever in that part, but um, the basic concept remains of you're changing the voice that you're hearing from. So in that case, that's a lyrical call and response, right? Because the chorus is a significant musical change. And it's often from verses which are smaller to the chorus, which is larger. Because the very word chorus, right? If you think about it, um, if you ever were in a choir or just know of choir, you know how sometimes they're called chorus instead of choir? Um that's because really what chorus is, is a, a reference to a choir, many voices, lots of no voices coming together to make something bigger. So really the name chorus is, is already indicating that, hey, this is the bigger section. This is where more parts are coming in, where there's layers of harmonies, where, where there's a lot more musical interest happening. This is where the song gets bigger. And not every chorus is bigger than the verses, but... Um, they are a vast majority of the time, right? So the chorus really gives you a musical opportunity to change as well, right? There's a different, a very different melody in the chorus than there is in the verses usually, right? Like verses for the most part have a fairly similar melody throughout the verses and certainly between verses, right? Like it's, 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 there's a distinct melody, verse one, verse two, verse three, all of those verses are going to have the same melody. And then there's a new, different melody uh, for the chorus. So not only is the, is the chorus a response in a lyrical sense, right, where you're, you may be changing perspectives, you may be talking about the big theme, whereas the verses are more um, telling the story. The verses may be more intimate, whereas the uh, chorus is a little more universal. But also, uh, it's a response musically because it's, a, it's, it's changing up the music. The chord progression is probably going to change from the verse. The melody is probably going to change, or the melody is definitely going to change, really. Um, so that's the macro level of call and response that's present in all, all types of music. Because again, even in classical music, I feel like it's a common thing for... I don't know how to be nice about this, so I'll just say it the truthful way. All those pretentious classical music people out there. Now, I don't mean people who like classical, right? It's good to like classical. There's some brilliant, amazing stuff. But there are those people that like look down on songwriting in general and are like, oh, I only do classical. It's so much better, and pop music repeats itself so much. And when they call, what they're calling pop music is often... Um, Anything that's not classical, which right away is just an unbelievably ignorant statement, but um, that is often how they refer to it. They 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 sort of separate pop and classical as the only two genres in existence, basically. And um, 
you know, I, often their critique is, oh, pop repeats itself so much. So does classical. The only difference is half the time classical has only two movements, an A section and a B section. And uh, in a lot of songs, you at least have a C section or a, uh, um, or a bridge, as it's often called. Or if you're uh, from England, you might call it a middle eight. Um, although technically a middle eight is only a term if it's exactly eight bars, uh, which is another discussion. But the point here is that even classical repeats itself. Yes, there may be more textures in there, and I would make the argument that songwriting and music composing are two completely separate things. They have a similar skill set, um, but they are also very different. I don't think being a songwriter does not necessarily make you a composer, and being a composer does not make you a songwriter uh, either. I think they're, as somebody who has done a good amount of both, they are different. Uh, one is not necessarily better or lesser than the other. They're just different. But anyway, so also there's call and response on the small level. So it's even present on a line-by-line -line basis. Um, so, so have you ever noticed if you take a, a song that you like or just a song you know well, and if you hum the melody, you'll notice that very often all of the different lines in a verse will be extremely similar with slight variations. Like the first and second line may be the exact same, except in the first line, the last note goes down. And then in the second line, that last note goes up, but the entire rest is the same. Or there might be a slight rhythmic difference. And then the third line may mix it up a little bit more, and then that fourth final line of the verse may go back to being the exact same as the first line. But really, most of the lines within verses, and often in choruses as well, are extremely similar with only slight alterations, right? That's what, what makes it clear is from the same song. It's the type of thing that allows you to, if somebody just played the first line of a song... Uh, first line of the verse, and then if somebody just played the sixth line of the verse, if let's say this verse has eight lines, uh, you know that it's the same song, right? Now, part of that's the arrangement, but a part of it is that the, the, the melody comes from the same character. It feels like the same voice, even if the melody alters slightly, but it alters only slightly. So a part of that is that it would be a mess otherwise. Otherwise, every line would be its own thing, and there would be no cohesiveness. It wouldn't feel like one unit, one song unit. Um, and, and a part of this is, the again, that concept of call and response. Because in a conversation, right, you have two people conversing about the same thing. So most often in your song, right, there's, there's really one voice, which is you, um, within your song. But... In a sense, you're also sometimes taking perspectives from multiple places, right? You might be talking from the perspectives of different characters. Uh, and even if not, sometimes it's even the voice within yourself, right? Like in, in the verses, you may be all down like, oh, how am I going to get over this girl that broke up with me? How am I going to get over this guy that broke up with me? Whatever. And then in the, in the chorus is when you're like, I'm determined. I'm going to do it. Or, you know, I'm going to show you how I'm fine without you or whatever. So it's two different voices within yourself. 
And the call and response within, you know, line by line is really what gives that bit of coloration to give the effect sort of of conversation or two voices that are coming from a similar place. So very often, you know, the first line will set something up and then the second line will answer the question that the first one sort of asks. Or the first line will start a thought and then that second line sort of finishes the thought. So beyond even that, that musical call and response or call and answer, which is the whole concept of like, it's basically the same melody, but just changes ever so slightly. Um, and, and even often, right, like you can even go so f this far with it where you say, um, let's, let's take a really basic question answer, right? Um, I'm doing good or I'm doing well. So somebody asks, how are you doing? Or how are you doing? Right? Versus I am doing well. So it sort of has a different tone, right? How am I doing? Sort of going up. And then I'm doing well. Oh, that's good to hear. And so there's natural cadences to a conversation even. And, you know, with a question, your voice often goes up in tone. And then with a statement, it sort of stays more even. So stuff like that is often what's present in the melodies, just those slight differences, right? Like the last note goes up a little bit. And then the next one, the last note doesn't go up. And that sort of gives that effect of a conversation where there's, there's two very similar and yet slightly different sounding voices. So we're going to look a little bit into a lyric that I think was a pretty decent example of some call and answer and the different levels or layers of it. And that is Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. So I'm going to just read the first verse first. And I'd give up forever to touch you because I know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be and I don't want to go home right now. That's the first verse. So let's go to the smallest level of call and response that we've talked about, which is the line level. So first two lines, make a pair, right? Because line level call and response is first line, call, and then second line, response. So, and I'd give up forever to touch you. So the question now you could say is why? And then line two finishes that thought. It's the other side of the coin because I know that you feel me somehow. So it answers why. And I'd give up forever to touch you. Why would you give up forever to touch the other person, which sounds creepy outside of the context of the song. But um, because, or because, I know that you feel me somehow. And then if you take that second pair, right? You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be, and I don't want to go home right now. So first thought is you're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. Okay. Um, that's nice. Um, but what does that mean? It means that I don't want to go home right now because you're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. So I don't want to go home right now. See how like the concept of I'd give up forever to touch you because I know that you feel me somehow and you're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be and I don't want to go home right now 
are two similar concepts, right? They're, they're, they're clearly coming from the same place of this, um, this person who wants to be around or to touch this other person. So it's sort of in the same vein, right? It's all saying similar things. But if you break it down at the line level, you have two sides of the exact same coin. I'd give up forever to touch you because I know that you feel me somehow. That's one thought. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be and I don't want to go home right now. That's another thought. They're almost like two different sentences. So right there, you already have two levels of call and response. Because you have that first one, which is the line level, where you have the two sides of the coin. And then you have the call and response within thoughts. So you have the first thought, the first call, which is the first two lines together. And I'd give up forever to touch you because I know that you feel me somehow, is the call. Within that, right, we have the call and answer at the lowest level. But also that whole thing represents a call. And then the answer of, you're the closest to heaven that I'll ever, I'll ever be and I don't want to go home right now. Because those are two separate thoughts. So the, that first level is the line level where you get two sides of the same coin. And now we have two different coins that are the same type of coin. Maybe they're both nickels. Um, doesn't really matter what coin. I just chose nickel for whatever reason. Um, probably because it's Sunday when I'm recording this, so I'm thinking of a nickel corner. Boom. There it is. Um, so, so right there, you have two levels already, and then you just have that last level of, you have the verses, so uh, that first verse I read a bunch of times, but then there's a second verse, and all I can taste is this moment, and all I can breathe is your life. And sooner or later, it's over. I just don't want to miss you tonight. And then you finally have the chorus, where they have the music, the significant music change up. And then... Um, that becomes the response of, and I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. When everything's meant to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. And that represents a clear departure from what's being talked about before, right? What's being talked about before is more, you know, this person talking to the person they love. Now we have a little bit broader of a subject, right? Where I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand when everything's meant to be broken. I just want you to know who I am. So he's still talking to the same person, but the scope of what's being talked about just, just, just broadened. Got a little darker too. So call and response is just everywhere. I mean... Really, a whole song is almost just a series of call and response. You have a line, call, and then the next line, response. Another line, call, another line, response. And then both of those pairs of call and responses is another call and response. So if you notice, um, if you ever look at, like, measure counts of songs, for the most part, almost everything is divisible by four. There'll be some exceptions, like a pre-chorus that's simply two lines or an intro that's simply two lines. But for the most part, if you look at, you know, verses or whatever, it's, you know, the first verse, which might be two verses, actually has 16 bars. And then the chorus has four bars. And then the next verse has eight bars. And then the bridge, as and like I said, uh, 
in England, they often call it a middle eight, often has eight bars. Or maybe it has 16 bars, but it's usually not going to have 10. It's usually, it's usually not going to have, um, you know, it might have 12, which is divisible by four, but it's usually not going to have 10. It's usually not going to have six. You'll see two once in a while for sure. Um, but for the most part, parts of songs are divisible by four. So why do you think that is? That's exactly because of what we're talking about with this series of calls and responses. Because four, if you think about it, any set of four can be divided down into two levels of call and response, right? So if we take four and we have two parts of four, that means you have so four bars. Now you have two sections of two bars for your first level or your second level of call and response. So you have a four line verse or chorus or whatever it is. You can break that down, cut it in half. So now you have two two bar sections. And then each of those can be divided into again, right? So you have two that are too long. Now, each one of those two that's too long, you can d divide again so that you have one bar and then the response bar, right? So anything that's divisible by four can be cut in half twice, right? If you cut it in half first time, you have sets of two sets of two. If you cut those two sets of two in half, now you have four sets of one, or you can see it um, that each of your set of two is now has two within it. Um, and I know that those, well, those were a lot of numbers, but really the point is that a part of the reason that four is sort of the, the golden number in music, especially when it comes to measures, is because of this call and response. Because with things divisible by four, you can just keep splitting it up all the way down until you have a whole bunch of sets of one bar. Because often the lowest level of call and response is one bar to the next bar. Whereas if you had 10, if you have 10, if you cut that in half, right, you're, you're down to two sets of five. Right? So that would just be weird. Now, it might be common to have, you know, just two measures. That's its own call and answer. And then in a new section to have now eight, which adds up to ten, right? But then that eight can be divided in half to four, divided in half to two, divided in half to one. So that's why this call and response concept is just so ingrained into music um, because it is the natural speaking way, right? And with lyrics and with music, at the end of the day, it is a communication device. And communication is built around conversation. And conversation is built around call and response. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, question and answer, right? It just means that one person, another person. Or one thought, a different thought. That's similar. So... I hope this was helpful to you. I hope that this sets up the next podcast well, and I, th I think it does, where we're going to dive a little bit more into 
uh, verses and choruses and bridges and pre-choruses and what some of those things are used for. And um, also some of my takes on different ways to change it up, some effective ways to change it up, uh, including what I like to call a finale, um, which I use quite often. And uh, there's a very popular song that you know of that you might not have even ever thought about it, but it actually follows my finale pattern. Um, and we'll talk a bit about that song and I'll tell you what that song is. When we get there. For now, I've mentioned this before, but I have a super awesome guide. Totally free. Totally free. It's a music theory guide. It has four main sections that will teach you each of the four core, most important concepts of music theory that you need to know for songwriting. And just to be clear about this, I don't mean music theory like, oh, this is this note in, you know, notation is a C and I don't mean that because I, I, I know how to read music, obviously, as somebody who pl was classically trained in piano since five and did some classical guitar lessons as well. Um, but frankly, that stuff is not important for songwriting. I, fun fact, have never, ever, ever written down a song. Like I've written a lot of songs. Um, I write down the lyrics, obviously. But as far as, you know, exactly, you know, the piano part that I come up with and the guitar, like, I never write that down, note for note. I think it's a waste of time. Uh, it's totally unnecessary. Who cares? So that's not the music theory that I'm talking about here. This is the music theory that you need to know in order to understand how to create chord progressions. You need to understand... Um, what notes you have available to you as, as you're writing a song. You have to understand what, what really chords are and what their jobs are. Like, what is a five chord? What is its job within a song? These are the things that are really important as songwriters to understand. You need to understand what the key of A major is. You need to understand what a B-flat diminished chord is. You need to understand what is a minor third. You need to understand what a four chord is. And even if you don't need or want to understand what those are out loud, when it comes to songwriting, it's so important. So the link will be below wherever you're listening to this podcast to go get that. But if not, um, if you don't want to even click on that and find it, it's at songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. All one word. It is Music Theory Guide, no hyphens or anything in between it, so songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. Hey friend, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I genuinely appreciate all of your support. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. If you have already told a friend, go tell another one. And if you want a simple guide to start writing a new song today, be sure to download my free guide, Simplify Songwriting, the simple guide to start writing a song today at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. If you're overwhelmed by songwriting or often get stuck in creative ruts, this guide will help you push through and get started writing your new song today.